was a piece of cake. <laughs> Okay. Anybody ever watched the Goofy movie from the 90s? <laughs> guys, guys, we have sunk to a new nerd level. Because that bumper was so nerdy. I literally, the interns, Doug, they nerded out in my office for like 25 minutes. Like, oh my gosh. And then they started watching scenes on YouTube from the Goofy movie. And I was like, you got, like, I don't know. I was born, you know, in the 80s. Like, I didn't get it. Um, and so, and then they were like, no, this song, like, stand out for the crowd. And I did not get it. But everyone in here, y'all get it. And so, who cares? There you go, guys. Welcome to a new series that we are entitling Misfits. Misfits, the only people that change the world. We believe uh, that misfits are the only people that change the world. And you guys have been around Red Rocks Church long enough. You've been at RRYA long enough. You know that we care about God's kingdom. We care about God's kingdom being advanced. We care about God's kingdom moving forward. And uh, we also believe um, in everything that we are and in every value that is in our ministry that every single person has a part to play in God's kingdom moving forward. Every single person does. Now, you may be sitting in your seats and you're thinking, well, cool, um, but I don't necessarily really feel like I'm going to change the world. I don't really feel like I'm a game changer. I don't really feel like I'm the one uh, that's going to go out and advance God's kingdom. Just that's not quite me. And we think things like this to ourselves. We're like, well, I'm a little bit bound up right now, Jess. I've got a job. Okay, it's a 9 to 5 or an 8 to 6 or an 8 to 8. And I work, and I am not, you know, I'm around suits all day. I'm around Excel spreads. I'm around, you know, people trying to make deadlines. Like, I'm not around a bunch of people where I could really affect the environment for Jesus Christ. I'm not a world changer. That's not me. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, um, <laughs> like on Thursday nights, Jess, I come here. I want to love God, and I raise my hands. I love him, and I try to do the best that I possibly can, but I am a walking hypocrite. And I leave here, and you don't even know the things I do. You don't even know the things I say over the weekend. You don't even know the things I do, and so I couldn't possibly be a game changer. I couldn't be a world changer. That's not me. You might be in here, and you could think something like, well, I'm not strong. I'm not bold. Like, I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not that kind of person, and so the kingdom advancers are people like that. That's not me, or you think to yourself, I've got doubts. I've got doubts. I'm not a game changer. I'm not a world changer. Or you think to yourself things like this, you know, I've got issues. You should see my family. You should see where I came from. If you knew the thoughts that I had or my insights or what I've been dealing with or my uh, journal entries over the last month, you would not say I'm the one that's going to advance the kingdom. And yet, 
If you were to look at the Bible, and if you are new to young adults, new to Red Rocks Church, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, meaning this, that every single word in there and every single detail in there has meaning for his people. And so if you're in here and you're thinking that, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and what the Bible says about the people that change the world are that they are misfits. They are people that don't fit in. And in fact, they're um, the type of people, you can't find evidence in the Bible at any given point in time of the people advancing God's kingdom being the people that do fit in. Every single time, it is someone who doesn't quite fit the mold of a successful person. And the word misfit in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says this, a misfit is a person who is different from other people and who does not seem to belong in a particular group or a situation. Synonyms for this are oddball, weirdo, individualist, offbeat, odd man out, and maverick. Misfits, by definition, is someone who does not fit, okay? And every single time in the Bible we see God's kingdom in advancing, it is at the hands of someone that is offbeat, that is a weirdo, that doesn't fit in. And in God's word, I love this, he uses people, um, he uses people with issues, he uses people with disabilities, he uses people from the JV squad, he uses people who are the runts of their family who don't really have a lot going on for them. Those are the people he chooses to use. And this is a scripture that I think you need to go home and you need to highlight and is going to kind of be um, the commission for this series. And it's this, it's from 1 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 1, highlight it. um, 1 Corinthians 1, highlight it, underline it. Take it home because this is what God says about how he operates in his kingdom. It says, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential or not many of you were noble of birth. But God chose to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, and the things that are not. He chose the have-nots to nullify the things that are. God chose misfits. He loves misfits. And the reality is, you guys, God's kingdom is advancing no matter what. And we say that a lot here. Uh, The gates of hell will not stop God's kingdom from moving forward. And so the question for us in here is this. Are we going to be a part of what God is doing? And I believe that we are. I believe that this is a community that's already moving in that direction. And it's a blessing. And we want to just keep going. And there was, a, there was something that Nick said over the retreat. He, uh, he quoted a woman, her name's Margaret Mead, about um, the types of people that she viewed. She's an anthropologist. And the types of people that she viewed changing the world. And she said this, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. She studied humanity and she said, if, if people are focused enough, if they are conscientious enough, they will change the world. Now, I think what the Bible says, if it were to take uh, Margaret's quote and kind of uh, rearrange it and fit it to God's standards, it would say something like this, never doubt that a small group of misfits can change the world. Indeed, 
And if you read your Bible, it's the only thing that ever has. And so before we get into tonight, let's bow. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to be here in a special way. Jesus, thank you for tonight. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come. Uh, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. And I give you permission to use me to use your text. And I pray that everybody in here would walk out empowered in a new way about what you're doing in them. And I thank you uh, for the fun we're going to have tonight in joining you in what you're doing. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, Lord. Um, how many of you <laughs> remember gym class in like grade school, middle school sometimes, but mostly grade school and how awesome it was, right? You waited all day, or at least I did for gym, right? Terrible at math. I tried really hard. I had to get tutored. My mom was like bribing me with Arby's, like, go get tutored. I'll give you Arby's. Um, you know, so I looked forward to gym and I, not because I was the most athletic, right? But it did not matter. We would play dodgeball, and they weren't like the cushy dodgeballs that we have when we go on retreat. You know, we got these cushy dodgeballs, and it's like, no. But those things hurt uh, if you got a big old dude wailing them at you. So I'm sorry, ladies and gents. Um, but, you know, the dodgeballs that we had in sixth grade <clears throat> were the big, excuse me, I've got a cold, uh, were the big old rubber ones. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like what? What was the gym teacher thinking? Like, this is going to be real safe, <laughs> you know, laying them out. No. So we get out there, you know, and it's like, oh, it's dodgeball day. And he separates everybody into teams, okay? And he does this by choosing the two most athletic people and saying, okay, uh, you know, Bob, you're going to be team number one. And Joey, you're going to be team number two. And you guys choose your teams, right? And everybody remembers this. So we all kind of stand, and we would stand against the mat, you know, on the gym wall. And we would just be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, and the really athletic people got chosen first. So, you know, there was this guy, Eric Thompson, and he ended up being our pitcher in high school. He always got chosen first for dodgeball. So it's like, Eric Thompson, you know, and he goes, and then, you know, the next kid in line who's ever the most athletic goes, and then the boys, like, want to make the girls feel good, and so they're like, um, who's the quickest girl, you know, and so they choose, like, my friend Kristen, who played soccer, and she was really fast, so they chose her, they chose another girl that's super fast and whatever. And I don't know about you guys, but I always was kind of in the middle of the pack, right? Was never the last one chosen, but um, I was kind of always in the middle of the pack. And I would, about this time, I'm getting anxiety, right? Because it's like, it's like okay, you know, because you really, it, you know you're going to have a team. You do know that. I mean, no matter what, they're going to put you on a team. Um, what you're worried about is, is um, are they going to choose me, like, very last, right? And so you're sitting there, and, you're, and you're, I'm like, I and Kristen, like, do it, girl. <laughs> like, get me on your team, right? And, and the, just, you know, it's welling up in you. And then they start choosing, like, the middle of the ro road athletes, you know, and divvying up teams and whatever. I finally get chosen for a team. And then lastly, they <laughs> this is so sad. But, you know, it's these two, the two last people, it was like one of them was a foreign exchange student from China. Not even kidding. And it was because she just didn't understand. It wasn't anything mean or anything. It was just like we probably don't know how to describe dodgeball to you. And so, so we're choosing you last. And then the other one was the stinky kid in class, you know. And so it was those two. And so they, those two get onto teams and then we're complete, right? And... <clears throat> I think for most of us in here, we didn't get chosen last, 
If I had to guess, most of you in here did not get chosen last for the dodgeball team. But I would say, hmm, okay, that's the kind of crowd we got? All right, that's what we're dealing with tonight. <laughs> but I bet a lot of you in here were right around the middle, right around the middle of the pack. You weren't first. You weren't chosen first. You, someone with lots of confidence in the back there. <laughs> You're right in the middle. And we read a story about a man who probably was not the first one chosen on the team. He definitely wasn't the worst, okay? But he definitely, definitely wasn't the first chosen for a team. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 6. This is where we're going to hang out for the rest of tonight. So Judges 6, open her up. And we are going to read about a man named Gideon, okay? And um, Judges 6, to give you a little bit of background, the Israelites are at, um, they have been oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites. And the Israelites have gone through a cycle where they love God, they obey God, they adhere to his commandments, and then they get inner focused and selfish and they want things that other people have and so they start setting up idols to other gods because they're like well maybe if I've got this you know idol to Baal then then he'll give me like cool possessions you know or whatever so they start doing this God is frustrated and he hands them over it says this in the Bible to be oppressed by the Midianites and so they are the Midianites oppress the Israelites, and they end up hiding in caves, and they end up hiding um, into mountain clefts and stuff like that. They won't even live out in the open. And what would happen was the Israelites would plant crops, and they would grow livestock, and the Midianites would wait until these crops were full, and until the livestock was full, and then they would come like, like pirates and like Vikings and just take everything and leave them. And so the Israelites are in a place where they are literally starving. And it is in this moment where they cry uncle, and they say, Lord, if you're Lord, then come save us. And they cry out to God, a lot like us. We get into trouble, and they cry out to God. And this is where God is answering his people by answering Gideon. It says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep, uh, to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, so in this moment, and we're going to come back to this, but in this moment, the angel of the Lord, so God, through an angel, is commissioning Gideon and giving him a vision for his life. He's giving him a vision for his life. The Lord's with you. Seven words, mighty warrior. Seven words. This is the vision for your life. It goes on and it says this, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if, this is, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where is all his wonders that the ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. He's saying, I'm the runt. 
The Lord answered, I will be with you. I will strike you down, all the Midianites. Um, I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if, none have, um, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring an offering to you and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So this is describing God's vision for a man. God's vision for a man named Gideon. And he says, Gideon, you, God is with you, mighty warrior. And if you have walked in here tonight, God, most likely, if you are breathing and you have said, yes, Lord, I follow you, God at some given point in time has commissioned you and has given you a vision for your life, a vision of starting a ministry, a vision of helping orphans, a vision of becoming a missionary, a vision of starting a business, a vision of being the type of personality that affects your environment no matter where you work, a vision of being strong and capable in Christ and moving on his behalf, a vision of speaking to thousands of people, a vision of whatever. God has given you a vision. And if you're in here and you're thinking, well, Jess, I actually don't know that God has given me a vision. I want to ask you this. Because I think sometimes God's vision for us is so grand and it's so big that we shrug it off like it was a daydream. It's so grand and it's so good that we think that can't possibly be you. <laughs> That's me daydreaming, Lord. And even right now, the Lord's reminding you, I gave you a vision. In this moment, Gideon is looking at God and he's looking at the angel of the Lord. And he's like, I'm the smallest mighty warrior. That's too grand for me. Do you know who I am? And I would bet even right now that God is jogging your memory and he's saying, this is who you are. This is what I have for you. This is the vision that I'm giving you. And here's the reality about God's vision for our lives and about us advancing the kingdom is the call will always outweigh the man or the woman. <laughs> the call will always outweigh the man or the woman. Always. I think you can be the most capable individual in here. You can be the most talented, the most skillful, the most able to network, the most, uh, you know, professional person in here, probably with the, the most skill, and the call will outweigh your skill set. You can be in here, and you can be the least capable and feel like you have nothing to offer, and feel like um, there pr probably is a million other people that God should be calling, not you, and the same thing still applies. The call is always bigger than the man or than the woman. And what is fascinating to me about this, what's fascinating to me about Gideon's story is that Gideon is so absolutely, positively average. He's so absolutely, positively average as a human being. When we meet him, we learn that he is a small, statured man, uh, that he's from a town that nobody really talks about. You know, sometimes you come to young adults, and one of the first questions you ask is like, oh, hey, where are you from? And I love it because people always try to say they're from cool cities. Like, I've never walked up to somebody. Like, I'll walk up to somebody, and I'll be like, where are you from? And they'll be like, New York City. And I'm like, sweet. You know, or they'll be like, oh, my gosh, I just flew in from 
from LAX, you know, and you're like, oh, you're, you must be cool. You know, like nobody ever says with gusto, like with gusto, like I'm from Puxatawney, PA, you know, <laughs> like no. No one ever says I'm from Des Moines, what, what? well maybe you do, I don't know. But Gideon is not from a town that you talk about, you know? He's just average. He's nothing special. And a lot of people talk about Gideon. They talk about him like, um, and, 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 you know, and he is a little bit like, like he's just so fearful and he's such a wussy and he's just whatever. Um, he's hiding in a wine press when God finds him. And he is, okay? He is all those things. But more than that, like Gideon's just doing what everybody's doing. Gideon is trying to do his job. He's trying to do a decent job, and he's just doing it in a quiet way. I mean, he's a good man. He's just trying to get, you know, the, the wheat threshed in the wine press so people don't know about it. He's just trying to do life the best he can. He is absolutely, completely average. Maybe a bit of a goober, but average. And I say goober because this, um, Judges 6, he goes, pardon me, my Lord. And I don't know why. But when I read that, I read, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> like, who talks like that? There's no one else in scripture that talks like that. And, you know, this is the last guy that you invite on a backpacking trip because he's going to be like, pardon me. Is this water sanitary, you know? And you're like, oh, my gosh, why did we bring him? Like, Oh my gosh, Gideon, right? And he's just a, a little bit of a goober, you know? Like he questions God and he's like, God, are you, I mean, are you sure? You know, he asks him question after question. God, are you sure that you're calling me? And God proves himself and he, and he asks again, God, are you, are you positive that you're calling me? And, you know, he lays out a fleece. God shows up again and he, and are you double, triple sure? You know, he's a little bit of a goober. But I do not think that Gideon being a goober is what holds him back from pursuing God's vision for him. What I think is holding Gideon back is that he is absolutely imprisoned by average. He's imprisoned by average. And if I had to guess... I would think that that's most of us in here. See, Gideon is working the wine press, and he's, and he's doing a good job. Nobody's, nobody's looking at Gideon and saying, man, that man's a complete failure. I mean, he's, he's producing something for his family. He's in there, and he's working the, to the best of his knowledge. He's flying just under the radar. And I think that this is most people's story in here, being imprisoned by average. You've got a job, and it gives you just enough credibility and just enough respect. Nobody's going to call you a failure, so you're going to stay right here where it's comfortable. You're in a relationship with a guy or with a girl, and, uh, you know, it's not terrible. He doesn't treat you bad. She doesn't treat you bad. But no one would ever say, wow, they're really affecting people for the kingdom of God. You know, you get a, into a ministry and you do a ministry, something like this, and you're like, wow, well, it's pretty neat, you know, and we're doing pretty good. And so you get enslaved in the comfort of average. Your life, according to your peers, according to America, looks pretty decent. It looks decent enough. There's nothing wrong with it. No one would uh, send an indictment your way because it's just average. It's good enough. And here we find Gideon, and he's chilling in a wine press. Are you imprisoned 
by average tonight? Is that where you're at? The story goes on. And God is calling Gideon to lead his army against the Midianites, okay? He says, you are my mighty man, and you will lead the Israelites into battle. It's you. You're the guy. And Gideon questions God again and again and again and again. And what I find so refreshing, because you guys, if I'm honest with you, I told this to the interns this week and to everybody on staff. I was like, Gideon annoys me. Like, I read about him, and he's like, oh, like, I don't know, Lord, you know, and I'm just like, oh, my God, like, the angel is talking to you. Like, get with it, right? Like, I'm frustrated with this dude, and I'm like, why couldn't you just take him at his word and go, go do what he's telling you to do? Like, stop, stop being such a wuss, man. Like, I'm so frustrated with him. But what's interesting is that God never gets frustrated with him. God is eternally patient with this man. And he questions him, and, and God responds and reassures him. And he questions him again, and God responds and reassures him. And I think this scripture kind of revolutionizes the way I think about God because all of a sudden, maybe the way that I think about God is like, if I don't step out right away, if I'm not courageous enough, if I don't take you at your word, Lord, and step out right away, you know, I'm afraid you're going to take my call and give it to someone else because I'm not doing it. He says, no, 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 Jess, I have a vision for you and I will reassure you until you do it. I have a vision for you, Jess. And I will be there, I will be patient for you until you step out. I'm here for you. And you're my girl. He's saying to Gideon, you're my guy. You're my guy. You're Gideon's like, I don't know, I don't know. You're my guy. And maybe God brought you here tonight for nothing else than to just hear, once again, God has a vision for you. And he has not given up on you. And he will stay with you and he will reassure you until you step out. He's that kind of God. He's so patient with Gideon here. And he is calling you out tonight of a life in the wine press, a life of average. And so there's a couple different things that I believe that he is calling you out of. Because if he is going to call you out of something... If, excuse me, if he is going to call you into something, he is going to call you out of something else, okay? We can't lay hold of what God has for us, and this is the truth, until we let go of maybe some other things in life. And so God is calling us out of the wine press, and it's uh, the very first thing that I think God is calling us out of is God calls you out of who you were. God calls you out of who you were. Judges 6.22 says this. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That same night the Lord said to him, Take a second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut off the Asherah uh, pole beside it. Asherah was another um, idol that they were worshiping. Then build a proper kind of idol to the Lord, um, your God, on the top of this height. Using the word from the, or wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer a second bull as burnt offering. So God assures Gideon, you're my guy. God proves himself to Gideon. And then he says, Gideon, I need you to be a man that you were not five minutes ago. I need you to absolutely let go of the man that you were five minutes ago. And I think for a lot of us in here, 
God is calling us to tonight to let go of who we were five minutes ago. Most people um, love the call, but they don't want to let go of the past. They don't want to let go of the past. I remember in college, my very first year, I played collegiate soccer, and I've told you guys about this, and it was fun and whatever, and two-a-days and working really hard, and you don't have a social life besides soccer. <laughs> it's intense. Um, but, you know, so you're, like, doing that thing. My whole life, from the time I was seven years old until I went to college, I played soccer. That's what I did. And um, I remember my freshman year feeling God. I led a Bible study, and feeling God in that Bible study um, on me in a way I had never in my life and feeling more alive than I ever had in my entire life. And I knew in that moment God's calling me to ministry. This is where he's calling me. And there was some opportunities that were opening up at my university to serve God and to maybe t uh, step out into some type of leadership role. And um, I, I knew immediately I, there's no way I can engage with this role the way that I want to unless I quit and I let go of soccer. And I'll never forget, I walked into my coach's office, and he was this English student. He was like, Jesse, you know. And I'm like, hey, you know. And um, just so, you know, I don't know, timid in myself, but knowing what I had to do. And I sat down, and I said, I'm, I'm not playing next season. And he said, well, that's okay. And he was really reassuring. And um, I remember walking out, and the grass on the field had just gotten cut. So I walked out of his office, out uh, to the soccer field, and the grass had just gotten cut. And that smell, like, touched my nose. And um, it reminded me of dozens of summers of playing and my family watching me and, and being outside and my friends and my whole life being devoted to this thing. And I just started to cry. Letting go of your past is a difficult thing. But I can say with absolute assurance that that next year that I stepped into a leadership role and started um, maybe pursuing the things that God had for me, it was one of my most favorite years I've had to date because I engaged with it in a way that I would not have been able to otherwise. And so for some of us tonight, we need to let go of our past. And maybe for you, that's you need to let go of past mistakes. You've had issues. You made, you made some decisions and you regret them. You can think of them right now. I mean, they're coming up in your head and you're like, oh my gosh. And you play judge and jury and you're like, I'm still serving penance, Lord, for what I did. And so I can't possibly step out into anything new. And tonight God wants to say it's time to close that door on your past. For some of you in here, it's not necessarily past mistakes, but it's past glories. And God is saying it's time to say goodbye to your past successes. A few years ago, um, John and I, the staff at Red Rocks gets really into Halloween. <laughs> and every year they had a party. This was for a couple years in a row. They had a party, and huge party with all the staff. And we would get together, and everybody would dress up in their best costumes. And there were, like, really great prizes for people. And so we would come with our A game. You know, you come with your A game. And so one year we come, and, you know, John dresses up as Ron Burgundy, and I'm Veronica Corningstone. And, you know, it was like... And we tried really hard. We didn't get any prizes. And we're like, dude, like, we worked so hard. And so you, we knew we got to come more with our A game. And so the next year we come, and we're a hillbilly bride and groom. And, like, we got false teeth, like, the whole thing. And we didn't win. And we're like, what in the world? And so 
So the next year, we're like, this is happening. And so John dresses up like Napoleon Dynamite, and I dress up like Pedro. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have issues. <laughs> I walked around with little buttons that said vote for Pedro, and I was like, please vote for me. It was awesome. It was awesome. And we won that year. Yeah. So praise God is right. So, so for those of you who do not remember Napoleon Dynamite, you're like, what does this have to do with the message? For those of you who remember Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite, it was a movie in the early 2000s, and um, it was funny, super awkward. And there was a character in it called Uncle Rico. <laughs> and Uncle Rico was eternally stuck in his glory days. And he would say things like this, man, back in 82, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. If I could go back, Napoleon, I'd take state. He'd say things like that. And he was absolutely so caught up in this glory days of himself, the trophies of his past, that he was unable to be, even be present in the time that he lived. And some of you are in here, and you need to let go of past glories because they're holding you back. Because you say things like this, man, three years ago, me and the Lord, like we had... We, were, we had this season where we were so close and things were just gelling. And I remembered serving him in a way where, like, I could run and not grow weary and I could walk and not grow faint. And it was awesome, like, three years ago. Some of you really stepped out in your faith in high school. Some of you trusted God to move here or to move out of state or to make a big move, and you're like, man, it was so cool. Um, but since then, you haven't been trusting him for what's next. And what is insane about Gideon's story, you guys, is in the period of about 48 hours and then the weeks after that, God just kept anteing or upping the ante on Gideon's call. And so the very first thing he asked Gideon to do, we just read about it, is he says, look, I need you to take your friends, and I need you to go tear down the idols, and then I need you to put up an altar to me. And so he's like, sweet. And they go, and they do it, and they tear down the idols, and they put up an altar to God. And then after that, God says, I need you to find me an army, Gideon. Find me an army. So Gideon says, okay. And he finds an army, and then God says, I need you to whittle down that army, Gideon. And he says, okay. And he um, whittles it down to 300 men. It's the original 300, for those of you who think that the movie is cool. <laughs> this is the original, OG. Could you imagine if the night after Gideon tore down the idols, if he, if he stopped there and he was like, man, that was awesome, so cool, high-fiving his friends because they, like, basically did vandalism, you know. And he's like, that was so great. Man, guys, and years after that, that's all they ever talked about? You have to let go of your past, good, bad, whatever, in order to take hold of what God has for you next. God is calling you out of who you were five minutes ago. God calls you out of your insecurities. Judges 6 says this, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. What I love about Gideon is that he is so honest. He says in this moment, outwardly, what we only think about up here. 
And this is what makes him powerful. Because no matter what, everybody in here, myself included, my hands up, has insecurities. And what I used to do, and maybe you're like me in this, is I used to think, well, I'm not very insecure. And I would kind of, um, if I felt them or I had them, I would just kind of bury them. Like I was like, they don't affect me, not a huge deal, not going to worry about them. But when you do that, the Lord never has a chance to work on them. And so we could take some notes from Gideon. He is brilliant in this moment, and he's so honest with God. And he comes to God and he says, here's the places where I'm afraid. Here's the places where I don't measure up. Here's the places I need help, God. God is calling you out of your insecurities, but the only way that he can do that is by you being honest with him about what they are. You need to cut him straight and shoot him straight. Psalm 51 says this, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden parts you will make me know wisdom. God desires truth in our innermost being. He wants to transform us from the inside out. And the only way he can do that is by you coming to him in complete honesty and saying, here's what they are. Here's what I'm afraid of. He is calling us out of our insecurities. And lastly, God calls you into your truest identity. God calls you into your truest identity. The night that Gideon takes 300 men, and God says, okay, I want you to surround the Midian camp. And it says in scripture that the Midian camp is 120,000. And I was talking with Connor this week, and he said that that was just a way, when the Hebrews didn't know um, how to count, when it was more than they could possibly count, they'd just say 100,000. And so what he's saying in this moment when he says 120,000, he's saying it's, be, it's way beyond what we can even count. And he would say things like, the Midianites have enough camels. They have more camels than grains of sand on the shores of the sea. There's so many people. And Gideon takes 300 men and he surrounds the camp just as God had asked him to do. And you read about him in Judges 7. And he is completely different than the man that you read about in Judges 6. He's completely different. You read Judges 6.15, and then he says, really me? Uh, Lord, me? I'm a nobody. I'm a no one. You can't possibly use me. You read about him in Judges 7, and this is what um, he says in Judges 7. He says, watch me. He's like, yo, you want to know how to do this? Watch me. So much confidence. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Are you kidding? He's a warrior. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is William Wallace language in this moment. He is a completely different person. And what is so fabulous about the Lord in this, or about Gideon in this moment is that um, he is not perfect in this moment. He is not courageous in and of himself in this moment. And God requires none of those things from him. God doesn't say, Gideon, I need you to be a mighty warrior in yourself. Uh, I need you to be uh, absolutely righteous in yourself. I need you to, um, you know, and this is in the span of, like I said, 48 hours. I need you to um, download some ninja material and take this on yourself. No, what he says instead is I need you to simply trust me that I am calling you this and that this is your truest 
identity. And what's nuts about God using misfits, you guys, is that God gets the pleasure of seeing someone have the electrifying adventure of joining him in a calling and also getting to say that it was completely God's doing and him getting all the glory. First Corinthians, we'll read it again, says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God says, I use misfits, because they get an adventure, and I get the glory. You ready for an adventure? Because I am. God calls Gideon a warrior. And that is his truest identity. When you read about Gideon at the end of his life, no one remembers him in the wine press. We do. No one remembers him. They build an epitaph to him. And they say, this is the mighty man. They, they, they praise his family for generations after that. They say, this is the man that saved us from the hands of the Midianites. That's how he's remembered. That's the person that he is. That's who he is at the end of his life, and that's his truest identity. And so God calls him a mighty warrior. What is he calling you tonight? What is your truest identity? God says certain things about you, and these are just a few. We're about to sing a song, and they're going to sing over you some more of your truest identity. God says things like, you are more than a conqueror. He says, you are my child. He says, you are righteous in me. You are blessed in me. He says that you are spotless and blameless. You're a saint. You're seated at the right hand of God. You rule and reign in this life. These are the things that God says about you, and they are, whether you believe it or not, God is asking you tonight to believe it, your truest identity. God has plans for you. You just need to take him at his word. And so will you stand tonight? God is calling you out of your insecurities. He is calling you out of your past And he is calling you into your truest identity. And I'm believing tonight that he's going to speak to you in a way where you're like, really, God, really me? And he's like, yeah, you're my guy. You're my girl. It's you. You're my guy. You're my girl. Are you sure? Are you sure? I don't know if I got this. I don't know what you want me to do in this moment. Just wait on me. I'm going to reassure you. And Connor said something to me this week that really stuck with me. He said, uh, Connor moved out here because he felt God calling him. And he said, you know, Jess, Gideon's story is my story. Gideon's story is my story. And I was like, well, why? Explain that to me. And he said, you know, I always questioned God. And I always wondered. I knew he had a call on my life. I knew he had something that he wanted me to do. Um, And then there was one moment. There was one moment where God sat me down. And he simply said to me, Connor, whatever you do, I got your back. This is Gideon's story. God's reassuring him and saying, go, not in your own courage. I got your back. I'm calling you out of your insecurities, out of your past, and into an adventure. We're about to sing a song, and they're going to sing these words over you. Join them in faith tonight, and let's worship.